For full accident management support, including motor replacement, repairs and personal injury compensation claims, just search G4 Claims today. Hi and welcome to this week's episode of the DW Podcast. I am joined by another Welshman, Johnny Owen. How are you doing? I'm very good, mate. Yourself all right? Yeah, good, man. Good. I'm buzzing to be talking to you. I think we've got... We've got so much that we could we could uncover here. I don't even know where to start with yourself because usually I say oh, I'm joined by a musician, but I'm joined by a musician, uh, an actor, a director, you know, a radio host. Where do I even start? You know, a bit of a jack of all trades, really, for me. <laughs> Maybe master of none. I think I've tried everything, tried everything, Derek, and sort of like managed to sort of scrape a living by uh, doing a bit of everything, I suppose. What I, what I enjoy about you know looking from the outside and at your career, Johnny, is. Everything that you've done seems to be driven on things that motivate you by happiness or things that you're interested in. It's like you're obviously a grafter, but you're doing things that you love. Absolutely, mate. I mean, this it's the famous old saying, Derek, isn't it? The man that loves his job never works. And uh, I think if you do something you really enjoy and that you're passionate about, uh, you know, you've got a good chance. You know, they even say to write this only write about what you know. And I think that's a kind of sort of mantra that I've stuck with really over the years. I've always thought to myself, well, you know what? I kind of, I love football, you know, and um, I love the culture around it, the people that are involved in the game off the pitch as much as on the pitch as well. And I love film, music, the arts. So I sort of married them all together, Derek, I suppose, and try to make some kind of career out of it. I think that's interesting that you say, you know, I love the, the culture away from the pitch as well, because for me, as I said, you know, before we were recording there, we're both from kind of post-industrial working class steel towns. And, and for me, football clubs are actually made up. You're on the board at Nottingham Forest. You, you'll see this yourself firsthand. Football clubs are actually made up by the people that, the communities that represent them, aren't they? And, and sometimes for me, that's the more romantic story or the more interesting story than actually the 11 people on the pitch. I totally agree. I mean, um, you know, the town I come from, Merthyr Tidville, you said you spoke to Mark Evans, you know, who's a, who's a fellow Merthyr boy and done so well at the Welsh Football Association. But we grew up as young boys supporting Merthyr Town or Merthyr Tidville as they were then. And, you know, they were one of the most successful teams in, in non-league and, this was the time when, you know, we'd undergone the strike in South Wales, the miners' strike, which was so crushing. Merthyr, as you say, is a post-industrial steel, iron and mining town. And we took great solace in the football team. You know, I often describe Merthyr Town as the heart of the town, you know, the football team. And it's not just, you know, the fact what they do on the pitch, it's off the pitch. You know, the community trust work, you know, the kids' teams, you know, it's a place to go, it's a place to socialise, a place to meet your friends. You know, Motherwell is very similar. It's so much more than a football team. And I think... Derek, the one thing that this whole episode with COVID taught us was, you know, great Jock Steen, you know, a compatriot of yours said famously that football is nothing without fans. And boy, was he, has he been proved right this last few years? I mean, football is everything and not just, you know, the football itself. It's the social side of it. You know, it's getting together with people, you know, at these times when we talk very importantly about mental health and things like that. You know, football is so important to so many people. And I don't think it can be underestimated the, the power and the value that football has for people. Absolutely, Johnny. You, your your story is probably a, a great example of what I feel is football fans often get a bad rap. You know, people tar them with this working class hooliganism banner. But for many people, I think myself included and, and probably you, the, the things that you learn on the terraces at the football really shape your life. And, and actually, that's some of the most important life's lessons that you can learn. You know, you, I've, I've listened to you speak before and, and obviously you were in a band when you were a bit younger uh, and, and also came through the ranks and, you know, that almost led and opened so many doors for you. But I would imagine, and correct me if I'm wrong, 
it's through meeting friends and like-minded people at the football that you get this love for music and fashion and style and that, that shapes you as a person and almost drives people in, in certain directions. I couldn't agree anymore with every word you say, Derek. I mean, I think I was pretty much, you know, sort of born on the terraces, you know, artistically, certainly sort of like, you know, I picked up all my major influences. You know, we just mentioned Mark Evans. I'll tell you a true story. He gave me my first copy of Trainspot in the book. He'd been reading stuff that Irving Welsh had written in Rebel Inc., you know, in magazines and fanzines because he was the man behind the very well-known fanzine at Merthyr Dilem for Merthyr. But even other things, you know, I was given my first tape of the Stone Roses and Happy Mondays at a football mm-hmm. match, you know. Even VHSs would be passed to, you know, Quadrophenia and things like that. I always say it was a real sort of Petri dish, really, of, of, of art and working-class art as well and working-class culture on the terraces. And, you know, there were so many things. It was obviously the fashion side of it, which was very important to so many lads and girls and people like myself, you know, I... I used to look at the lads and the way they dressed. And I think I want to be like one of them. But there were so many other things as well that came on the back of that. You know, I kind of really, you know, sort of understood and, and learned about things. That's the thing. You know, I've seen, you know, um, bands that we all sort of, we'd go to a match on a Saturday and we'd all go to watch a band together, you know, in Cardiff and places like that. So I, I, can't, I can't really express enough how much football sort of formed me really and, and everything that I've done and do today. I was just saying about your, your early introduction to music and, and how, you know, that opened so many doors and, and how did that come about? How did, in the Welsh music scene, I would imagine, and almost similar to Scotland and I suppose across lots of places in the north of England, I feel that, and you'll know this yourself from, from working in radio and, and the arts, but I feel that the creative hub of the UK is almost based around London. And how was it for a young man in a, a Welsh band breaking through? Yeah, it's a really interesting point, actually. One of the A&R men that signed this one said that, you know, all the best bands tend to come from places where not a lot happens in the week. <laughs> you know, <laughs> oh. London, because there's not a lot to do, so you tend to rehearse and sort of hang around with your mates and sort of learn guitars and instruments and all the rest of it. I, I was I was lucky that my older brother, Chris, was was a punk in the sort of mid, uh-huh. mid to late 70s and he would let me come into his bedroom and play me music. So I was very lucky that I was a great introduction to some fantastic bands, you know, and I became a bit of a, I was Paul Weller fanatic, the jam. And then from Paul Weller, I discovered lots of 60s stuff. And then I found lads who did the similar stuff as me, you know, it's the same old story. And then by the late eighties, you know, I was, I'd learned the guitar and then I was playing the bass in bands. And then I ended up sort of like, you know, just playing local gigs and it kind of grew from there, really. But there was a definite scene then that developed, certainly in South Wales, you know, with bands like the Stereophonics, Catatonia, 60 Foot Dolls, you know, the Manics. You know, I, I knew a lot of them very well. It's only a small sort of country in that respect. with only a, a certain amount of venues, Derek. So we got to know each other. And it was a great time, really, because obviously when the Britpop thing, as they called it, took off, there was a lot of Welsh bands that sort of, was signed at that time and I was one of them really. So it was a great time. And as I said, I, I kind of learned a lot and and that set me on the road really to sort of ended up working in in media for the rest of my life, you know. So, you know, I, I'm very glad that I sort of, I was from an area where it was like saying very, uh, it was fruitful really for being in a band and, and wanted, to, wanted to sort of follow that path in that world. It's it's interesting because, you know, you, you'll see it yourself, especially on the radio and a lot of the, the bands and the artists that you talk to, but I, I feel as if there is a drive as well to say, like, if you are going to make it and, and you are from Glasgow or you are from Cardiff or whatever, you know, it's like, you need to move to London, but that's almost coming away a bit, you know, the shackles, of, that control has almost been removed. I think so. I think, you know, the world's got much smaller, Derek, since the internet, especially, you know, and uh, in the old days, you know, there were very specific sort of, 
I don't know, personalities to regions as well. You know, you'd have sort of areas like Manchester, very famously, and Liverpool. Yeah. yeah, you know, they had a very specific character, you know. Uh, South Wales, you know, was, was was you know, a little bit more, I always felt rock-orientated because that heavy metal sort of, like, uh, obsession in the valleys and places like that was prevalent. So, yeah, you know, I think now, though, with bands, you know, cause everything's at, 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 at their fingertips, really. I mean, my, my daughter's boyfriend... Dylan John Thomas, he's he's a Glasgow oh, boy, does really well. Yeah, he's just sold out the Barrowlands and that, you know. And he's he doesn't have to come to London. He's he's based in Glasgow, you know. And that would have been probably unheard of uh, 10, 15 years ago. But he doesn't need to move down now. He pops into London every now and then. But he's still very much Glasgow based, and I think that's a that's a pretty good thing, really. Are you going to come up for the Barra show? Yeah, yeah. I <laughs> promised him I'd come up. He's coming down to Merthyr the night after because he promised the DJ at the, at the, and play at the club, Merthyr Club, to raise some money for the, the local football club. So bless him. I sort of, I said to him, look, I'll come and support you up there and then we can drive back down together the next day. And then DJ <laughs> I, I'd imagine yeah. you've been in the barras before, but I, I, I think with Dylan, you know, from going for the venue across the road at St. Luke's where it was amazing to see that sold out, just to move across the road and for it to... To sell out so quick was incredible. So it's it's brilliant to see young artists coming through. He's done so well, and he sings in in the Scottish vernacular in their accent, which is great. <laughs> totally. um, you know, obviously, Jerry Jerry started that off. Jerry Cinnamon brilliantly in that sense. So you know, he's he's doing fantastic. He's just signed a, another deal with a really really good record company and management setup. So he's in a good place and he's in good stead. You know, a lot of the kids like liked it, and my daughter was DJing all over Europe when COVID hit. It hit them hard because they couldn't really go out and. And play, so I think he's just really looking forward to getting back out there and to play his hometown, the most legendary venue in his hometown. It's a bit of a dream come true for him, I think. Absolutely, and it, yeah, he's just be up the road. It's almost like pinch yourself moment as well. Yeah. That's clear. No, he's done so well. He's, uh, I mean, from the areas he's from. I mean, bless him. I mean, he said to me uh, we were out having a, a meal together, me and him, and he saw my my old headmistress has got in touch with me and sort of said would I come back to the school and speak to the kids? Because, you know, I'd be a bit of an inspiration. What do you think? And I was going, absolutely, you should. I said, you're a kid, you know, in your old school and you walk on, you're doing this. I can inspire the next generation. Bless him. He was there going, oh, okay, I, you know, maybe I'll do that then. But, you know, I don't think he almost quite realises how, how well he's done already, really, and all credit to him. Do you know, I think, I don't know if it's the same in South Wales, John, Johnny, but I feel like Scotland as well, there's almost this imposter syndrome. And when someone does say yeah. that, you know, you're, you could be an inspiration, come and talk to folk, you're like, what, me? That happened. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> it was very much that. That was the conversation. And obviously, because I'm a bit older now, I was like, go on, son. You know, you've done great. And like I said, you know, it could be a kid in 20 years coming behind you who's, who's seen you walking into their school hall, and that means everything to them. You know, footballers do it, don't they? So, yeah, I hope he does it. What about on the on the talk sports show as well and, and on the radio? You, you spoke to many musicians. Who's, I know this is quite a, a vague question, but who, who's the ones that stand out for you that you thought are inspirations, you know, that, that you've maybe spoke to and you've been inspired by them growing up and it's like the whole don't meet your heroes, but actually they're, they're brand new. Well, I mean, Paul Weller is, is the obvious one I just mentioned. He was the first kind of, you know, rock star. I remember seeing him on top of the pop singing Strange Town in 1978 and thinking, I want to be like him. Right. That's, 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 that's the guy for me. And I, I've had him on the show and he's he's absolutely amazing. He's a, he's a really good, good, um, good mate now, actually, you know, and uh, he's done so well. He stayed in the industry and the, the quality of his music as well. I don't think there's been many like him. Bowie, possibly, in the sense that they, they keep producing such great stuff, you know, over the decades. Uh, Noel Gallagher was another one. Obviously, Noel's just such a great interview. You know, he's, 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 oh, he's one of the best. Ah, he's just a brilliant talker. Him and his brother, too, two of the great rock stars ever, really, in British history, you know, and, and you know, they certainly 
top five, top ten for me. And and they're so interesting when you talk to them as well because they've just got that personality. They were just born to be that way. You know, there's no right. filter. They're going to say what they're going to say, and they're <laughs> funny as well with it. So yeah, Noel and Noel and Paul have been two that I've had on. They've been absolutely fantastic. I think the Paul one's such an influence, uh, an interesting one because I, I've got a mate who's round about the same age as you, Johnny, from Motherwell, and he's obsessed with Weller, and I actually wind him up about it, saying like. You're not a wee boy anymore. You're going to stop dressing like him with the same haircut. And yeah. <laughs> never leaves us. Oh. That's the point. It's like I'm still the same now. Really. My missus will say to me every so often, what's that? You've got on? That's probably some kind of thing Paul Weller would wear. In fact, I think I, I bought some of the range that he brought up with uh, Sunspeel recently and uh, I bought a few of his tops and I was like, oh, this is really nice, Paul. He goes, yeah, look smart. Little grandfather. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, very smart. So, no, it never leaves you. I've got to say, Derek, it never leaves you. But I think the, the two examples that you gave there, you know, in all, even Liam and, and Paul, it's like they've inspired so many people. But when you go to their gigs, there's so many people that are like clones of them, you know? Yeah, it's like, and, that, and young as well, you know, the thing with the Liam one as well is like he's selling out gigs now and he's Liam's about my age, I think. But all the kids in the audience between the age of 20 and 25 looking like young Liam. It's yeah. Amazing. It's like, imagine all that kind of effect on people. It's astonishing, really. I can't believe it. Like, it, it makes me think, has is, is there been, has there nobody filled that void? Yeah, you know, w- yeah. what is it that's that's coming through this type of kid that they still look back to like the 90s, 2000 era? It's... Yeah, there is a sort of a theory that a lot of it is mined out, as they say, you know, it's like there's not a lot of places for the kids to go. But, you know, Dylan is a good example. Dylan comes along, he sings in that accent, he does his great finger-picking style. And and do you know what he does? I think the thing with Dylan is, as we said, when he plays those places like St. Luke's and, and he play the power lines, he gets that bounce in the crowd. You, know, you can go and yeah. see him as a young kid and you can have a real, almost like it's like a mosh pit in it, which is what you want to do, Derek, when you're 16, 17 at a concert. Absolutely. Really. You know, I, I've got <laughs> this new thing recently, and it's, it's not recent, but I think, you know, it used to be bands when I was growing up and, you know, I was always wanting to be in a band, but now there seems to be a real platform for individual solo artists playing guitar and singing. You know, you, you've, you've said Jerry, as you mentioned, and Dylan and the likes of Jamie Webster coming out of Liverpool and it. Yeah. Is that kind of bouncy guitar, you know, sing-along yeah. songs that, that people really buy into? I, yeah, I, I mean, if, if you look at his gigs in Glasgow, like you said, the ones you've seen, it's just the crowd are going, going <laughs> great, crazy, <laughs> it's great, <laughs> which is what you want when you're young. So they've got a high energy, you know, because everybody knows you know, when you're young, you know, the, the raves and, 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 you know, all that kind of stuff. And what DJs play, that keeps the crowd going, bang. So, you know, there's, there's room for more quieter, mellow stuff. But I think if you're young, you still want to have a bounce around with a gig. I, I loved it when I was that age. Yeah, so did I. And, and I actually, I still do, to be honest. But I, I, hate yeah. the, I hate to harp on about this working class thing as well. But I do feel a lot of the time it's, you know, working class voices have been ignored. And when, they, when you get people are really real and they're singing about relatable subjects and you know in council estates or uh, all, all across the country it seems to be when they get that platform they really people get behind them and they see something in them they see themselves in these artists yeah you know they talk to them and it's from the heart and they yeah. can associate the songs and the stories and you know it's, it's a reflection of their lives you know and, and there's nothing better than that you know and that's that's the story of rock and roll really isn't it all those great songs about you sort of driving your first car and your first love and have your heart broken. That's what people can associate with, can't they? Exactly. With this being a Scottish podcast, Johnny, it would be it would be silly not to ask you about, you know, one of one of your recent uh one of your recent productions on uh, the Free Kings. So let's see let's hear a bit about that. How how did it come about? For those that are, are listening or watching to this that maybe haven't heard of it, tell us a bit about it and, and how the idea and concept came up. Yeah, it's it's the story of um of three great Scottish football managers that kind of changed football really we call it the makers of modern football what you know can't be denied is they certainly had a, 
a huge effect on the game across the world with you and across three clubs that have become institutions, Manchester United, Liverpool, Liverpool and Celtic. Uh, it's the story of Matt Busby, Jockstein and, and Bill Shankly, all born within 30 miles of each other in, in the area where you come from, you know, Absolutely. just south of Glasgow, down to Asia. Yeah. Uh, and the idea came from my father, obviously working heavy industry, nothing unusual about that from the areas we come from. He was in a an electrician underground and he worked in the steelworks and, and he was one of those people that had worked underground, you know, and, and whenever he seen a, a miner on telly, he'd say he's a miner. And I can remember it as <laughs> oh, a kid, you know, and I, yeah, he did like, <laughs> he's a miner. Sure. So when he was blessing, he was he was very ill at the end. He had sort of terminal cancer, but he was he was <laughs> he was so stoical about it because he was from that world and that generation. He was like, Well, I've had a good innings and you know, I'm all right and I'm I'm really happy with my life. And um, and we still have great talks together. I used to lie on the bed next to him. And um, I reminded him of this. I sort of said, oh, do you remember when you always used to say when somebody comes to mine and Shankly's come on a steam? And he laughed and went, well, you remembered it, didn't you? And hopefully you'll keep remembering it. So when he did pass it, I said, well, one of the best things I could probably do for his, for his people's legacy is to tell that story, really. And that was the sort of the germ of the idea. And I went to uh, a lovely guy called James Gay Reese and another guy called Paul Martin who'd done Senna, Amy, Ronaldo, run a really, really, really fantastic production company and they loved the idea as well so we thought we'd tell the story for a modern audience you know and um, the, the good thing is and it's great talking to a Scottish podcast when I was a kid growing up the vast majority of teams that sort of were the best teams in Europe had a, a Scottish spine so that's like Nottingham Forest you know Ipswich you know Man United Liverpool, Liverpool especially yeah, yeah. yeah you know all these teams that you know were winning sort of European trophies but always had five or six Scottish players. Leeds, obviously, yeah. very famously as well. So I wanted to tell that story because what's tended to happen in the last 20 years, especially since the Premier League has really taken off, is there seems to be sort of a dismissal about sort of, you know, other leagues, you know, especially Scottish League. Uh, you know, this, this you know, this, the Portuguese players coming in is really sexy and all that. And I get it. You know, I understand. But, you know, what I wanted to say when I was a kid, if you've got a Scottish player in your team, it was considered a really like it's a big thing, you know. He's the next, yeah. he's the next superstar for our team. And, and I wanted to talk about those three managers and how they they changed those football clubs and specifically that high watermark of Scottish football 1967, where you know Scotland beat England were world champions, Celtic win the European Cup, Rangers get to the final of the European Cup and this cup, you know, the, the the powerhouse that was Scottish football and still can be. You know, still produces great world-class players. Uh, and I wanted to tell that story, really, for a generation outside Scotland. And it's been amazing, the effect it's had. It's, it's got five stars on Amazon, and it's done really, really well. And I'm just really glad there's a new generation that are seeing, you know, the effect of these these kind of men and these people. And Scott, you know, the thing is, I, always, I was talking about it this weekend, English league football for a long time was very much a copy of the way they play in Ashbourne, which is, they, they do this thing, they still play on Ash Wednesday. And there's a big ball in the middle of the village and they fight the ball from one end of the village to the other. And it's very physical and they still do it. And the English game was very similar to that. Whereas in Scotland, they developed a very different way of playing football in the early years of football. A passing game, quick passing, Alex James and all those great players. So it was a very different uh, philosophy up in Scotland. And I just wanted to talk about things like that. World record crowds were always broken in Glasgow, you know, for international football and domestic football. And I just think that's been forgotten a little bit. And so I wanted the film to remind people of that history. You know, I find that so refreshing to hear someone that isn't Scottish saying that as well, because, you know, I'm super passionate about the Scottish game. And to be honest, I would rather watch Rafe Rovers than Fairmont than my United Liverpool. You know, that, that's just yeah. the way that I am. It's like, damn, nah, I'm, I'm not caving to that corporate nonsense down south. But to hear someone from outside saying, you know, there is still a story there to tell about Scotland, 
you know, the, 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 the history of this game here is, is vast and people need to know about it. Was there ever a bit oh. of a, was there ever a bit of a, not a backlash, but a bit of a resistance from people saying, why Scotland? You know, nobody's interested no, in Scotland anymore. If anything, Derek, it was the complete opposite. I think everybody was quite fascinated and, and interested and wanted to know. And I think there's something in the back of everybody's mind where they go, oh yeah, Scottish football, you know, and, and there's always that Scottish footballer, you know. There is John, John Robertson, who was always voted the greatest footballer for Nottingham Forest by their fans. Yeah. There's always Kenny Dalglish, who's voted one of the greatest footballers for Liverpool fans. So then there's something there, you know, in people's minds that they go, oh, yeah, you know, and and just recently Andy Andy Robertson for argument's sake, you know, look, you know, he's, he's world class footballer. So I think I, you know, I got I was very heartened by the fact that you know so many people were into it. And also, we get a lot of traffic, as they call it, on talks. We're talking about this. Germany's become a very popular destination for football fans to travel to, but Scotland's becoming very popular. I have lots of boys who say to me pretty much what you were saying. They love going up to watch Arbroath, or you know, they love going yeah. up to watch Dunfermline, and it's becoming a bit of a day out, you know, for certain sort of English football fans to see football a little bit as it was, I suppose, down south. And you know, a mate of mine was telling me recently that he went up to watch a few Scottish games. He had a time of his life, you know. He said he said had a few beers for the game, and it was a great atmosphere, amazing food, and all the rest of it. And he said, I just loved it. So I think that I think actually there is a, there is a certainly a movement or a core of people that can certainly understand that Scottish football is maybe a little bit more true to the roots and the kind of football that we remember growing up. And I hope that remains because I I'd hate it to become you know more corporate and something that you know the Premier League is the Premier League. You know, and it's it's a beast really, and it's a commercial marketing driven thing. But I, for me personally, I went a few years back to watch Queens Park play in, in Ireland. Right, one yeah. of the best. One of the best days out there ever. Fuck fast on the train on the way back. The whole lot. <laughs> do you know what I mean? It was, the, it was the real Scottish football day out. And I personally say to people, I cannot recommend it enough. It's it's great to hear. It's 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 amazing to hear that from from you know the outside looking in as well. In terms of you know Steen uh, Steen and Shankly and and of course, uh, how did you go about doing some research for that? You know, was there did did you meet any supporters from these clubs? Did you read through the history books? What what was the what was the process of that? Yeah, a bit of everything really, Derek. I mean, I've, I read all the books that have been written about them, or as many as I could find. Um, you know, there's obviously been a lot of books written about the three of them because they're such giants of the game. I mean, in particular, said Archie McPherson's book on Steen is a, is a yeah. superb book, you know, and Paddy Barclay, another Scotsman, wrote the Busby book recently. So there's loads of books for them, you know, on them. Lots of films we made. There was a wonderful series made about 30 years ago by the brilliant Hugh McElvenny, the Scottish writer, yeah. called The Football Men. Yeah, that was on the BBC, which was brilliantly done. Um, so yeah, there was, a, there was there was quite a lot of sort of stuff like I had to sift through, um, but I enjoyed doing it, you know. And it started in just their playing careers were you know pre-war certainly in the in, in the case of Shankly and Busby, and then Busby was managing straight after the Second World War. Yeah. So I had footage of, of the late forties, early fifties, which can look very antiquated now. So I had to make a decision of how I was going to cut that, what music I was going to put to it, because one of the great lines that was given to me by the producers was. You have to make a film that an 18-year-old kid who knows nothing about these three men can watch and enjoy. Yeah. And that's what I try to do. I try to sort of find that footage and that information and sort of tell it for a new modern audience, you know. And 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 sometimes even trying to sort of say, you know, we, we used to say things in it like, you know, Alex James, for argument's sake, which is, we lived two streets away from um, 
Matt Busby in, in Bells Hill. Oh. He said, you know, he was that was like living two streets away from Lionel Messi in the modern. In the it's modern incredible, world. isn't it? It's, uh... When you explain it like that, a young kid will go, oh, I get it. So that's the environment these men grew up in. It was such a. Uh, there's a great book being written by Malcolm Gladwell called The Outriders, and he, and he explains why things happen. He says, oh, there was a reason why in. In San Francisco, all these great computer companies popped up. He said, and he, and he explains it. You know, there were there was all the all the right um, materials were in place, and there was like, there was terminals and to go on, and all, it was all this kind of stuff happened. And they were all mates to each other. There's a reason why these three men came from that area, and this is what I try to explain in the film. You know, they grew up they grew up in an area obsessed with football, obsessed with it. You know, the biggest, like I said earlier, the biggest crowds and all that kind of stuff. They, all they did was talk about football all day. Paddy Barkley said it was literally like the Viennian. What do you say? Vienna coffee houses during the 1848 re- series of revolutions, only in football terms. All everybody talked about was football. All everybody was play football. I mean, Shankly was obsessed with the game. It was like to his detriment in the end, you know. Yeah. Steen died at the side of a football pitch. Busby, you know, he crashed. These men were football, you know, literally in human form. And there's a reason why that those areas of Scotland were the breeding ground for those kind of men. And that's what the story I wanted to tell. I think you could almost, not that I'm, I'm putting ideas in, in your head here, Johnny, I think you could almost do a follow-up as well about Sir Alex Ferguson. I feel that he's almost from a, a similar mould as well, isn't he? You know, it is that you know, their families were brought up, brought up as, as miners or, you know, shipyard workers, and it's been instilled into them hard work and determination and, uh, I suppose, a, a winning mentality as well. But he's he's kind of like almost like I was thinking the son of the three, really. He's got That's exactly personality it. traits from the three, and obviously <laughs> Steen's assistant, wasn't he? And he still says, says Steen is, is the greatest manager of all time. I think in 442, he said he's, they said, who's the best manager of all time? And explain why. He just says, it's very simple, it's Jock Steen. He won the European Cup with a Glasgow District 11. Yeah. And, um, I, you know, and, 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 but he also talks very, very eloquently and brilliantly about Busby and Shankly. Say, you know, Busby and Shankly were fascinating because they were really good mates. They played in the war, in the Scottish team in the war together. And then, <laughs> When the Liverpool job came up in the uh, late 50s, Matt Busby recommended him for the job. And <laughs> That's incredible, wasn't it? Incredible. And famously turned to his uh, assistant, a Welshman called Jimmy Murphy, and said, as he put the phone down, I might regret that because <laughs> he'll get he'll get them going. And he was right. right. And I thought to myself, now that's a measure of the man that he didn't think, oh, I'm not going to recommend him for that because he'll become a rival. He was so close, he went, no, no, he's the man for the job. And, you know, they became... Literally, like Liverpool Man United's rivalry was born because of Busby and Shankly. And that was great to tell a new generation of kids that who grow up supporting Liverpool Man United, two of the biggest clubs in the world. You go, well, actually, this is the genesis of their rivalry. It didn't exist before the mid 60s. This is because these two Scottish managers who literally swapped titles and cups year after year after year through that period. You know, you had Roger Hunt playing for him and George Best playing for him and Ian St. John playing for them and Dennis. So you just go, this is great story. And then when you tell people of how this thing began, they get it then and they go, okay, so this really, Liverpool Man United's rivalry began in Scotland, you know, and that's a great thing that's to amazing. tell people. Yeah. If you had to choose one of them, who would you say was the best? If you really had to, <laughs> if I had to make you pick one. I've been asked this quite a few times. I do always say the same one. If if I had a time machine, right, and I won the, the Euro Billions, <laughs> and I could buy Merthyr Town Football Club and I had hundred million pound in the bank there to start. And at a time machine, I would take the 1967 Jockstein back with me. 1967 Jockstein won every single trophy that he was possible to win that year. It's the only football club I think that's ever done it in history. It might even be the only sporting team. So they won every competition they entered. Glasgow District Cup, Scottish League Cup, Scottish Epic Cup, European Cup, right? And remember, 
They had a, they had a league in there with Rangers in it were one of the strongest teams in Europe. Hearts were strong. Aberdeen's one, a fine Motherwell team. So this, this is not any old domestic league. This is the high watermark of Scottish football. They win that league. Then they win the European Cup, right, with this Glasgow District 11. And remember, this is the big part for me. They beat a brilliant Inter Milan team. They were considered impossible to break down. And everybody said, if Celtic concede an early goal, that could be it. They concede the early goal and then batter Inter Milan in the, in the rest of the game and score the goals. I think the 1967 Jockstein. I mean, everything about him, every, his, his motivation, his man management, his tactical ability. He's, for me, I think he's probably the greatest manager that ever lived in that year. You think so, yeah? Well, I think Ferguson obviously runs in very close in 1999 at Manchester United. Of course. Runs in very, very close. Yeah. But I'd love to ask Alex Ferguson, does he think in that year that he was better than what Steen did in 1967? I think, I think because of the money that was available in the game in, in the late 90s, and he used it very wisely, and I think... But I think what Steam did with 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 eleven players who you know were all born within famously you know thirty miles of of Celtic Park. I think I think that's just I think it's the greatest football achievement. It, it, you know, it's the only thing I felt that topped Forest, what Clough did with Forest. You know, we took a mid-table second division team. I just thought that what they did that year was was. I mean, listen again. I can talk myself out of it because Busby winning the <laughs> winning the European Cup ten years after the team dying is incredible. Yeah. I mean, and, then, and, and, and you could talk about Shankly, who created an empire from nothing in Liverpool. You know, it was a mid-table second of each. And, and I think they qualified for Europe something like 26 years on a, on a trot or something from the time Shankly took off. So there's all these things. But for me, that, that 1967 achievement at Celtic was, was remarkable. You, you touched on Forrest there and, and, and Clough. And I suppose, you know, you're now on the board at Nottingham Forest. Was that off the back mm. of the, uh, the work that you'd done for them? Or was how, how did that come around as well? Yeah, it's a really interesting story, actually. The, 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 the new owner came in, uh, the, Greek, the Greek shipping magnet, Mr. Maranakis, lovely fella. He's seen the film and he asked yeah, to meet yeah, me. Yeah. Yeah. Amazing. It's amazing. So him, yeah, got on really well. And he said to me, oh, look, you know, I like you. I like what, you know, you sort of talk about football and the rest of it. Would you be interested in coming on and, and giving me a hand? And I was a bit like, at first, I'll be honest, you, I was very working class. Again, the imposter thing. I was like, well, that's not really for me. And he was a bit like, come on, why not? What's to stop you? So I was a bit like, okay, well, I'll give it a go. And I've been on there four years now. And um, yeah, you know, they, they, they've, they've having a decent season now. Steve Cooper's come in and and it's been really enlightening, Derek, to be behind the scenes. I bet you can tell anybody, because I was one of those before I went behind the scenes who was very opinionated. Oh, this is how they should do it. Yeah. When you get behind the scenes, you realise it's a lot more complicated than you realise because there's so many other factors that you don't know about until you are behind the scenes and in, you know personal relationships with people and all those kind of things that are really important in any business. Uh, I'm so glad I did it. It's been an amazing experience. But it's nothing like I ever expected. It's, it was. It's been much, much more complicated and and in sometimes difficult, uh, and sometimes you know absolutely brilliant because there's so much on on a result now. You know, you just you feel it. But um, yeah, it's been it's been quite a, quite a journey, as they say. How often do you get along? Do you go every week? And I suppose a big question for me is that I'm obviously a, a huge Marlow fan, and and for the the thought of going on a board at a club that I don't support at first would be like, mm, should I do that? But I suppose you've also got such an affinity there because of the whole cloth story as well. Yeah, I was, just, I was, I was the same thing. I was a bit yeah. like, well, do you really want me? You know, I'm, I grew up watching Cardiff and Merthyr. But he was a bit like, well, you know, you've done the film and the, you get a great relationship with the fans who've been unbelievable to me. I mean, they supported the film, you know, bought it in their hundreds of thousands, you know. And yeah. so I, I can't thank them enough for that, really. So I thought, well, you know, if I've got something to offer, 
then you know that's brilliant. They've been really good actually because obviously the talk sport side of things and all that has really taken off this last sort of eighteen months. It's been so. It's been brilliant. It's been so successful. So they let me they let me go and do that now. So I'm a kind of non-exec. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> so they've been really good. So I just I just get along. I can see see my mates and all the rest of it, and you know, and 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 enjoy it now. You know, in that sense. So yeah, they, honestly, they couldn't be more couldn't have been more accommodating really. And I've really enjoyed it. It's been it's been it's been a great experience. I mean, it's been a great experience. I suppose that's now your your hometown team as well. It's not as if it's a. It's, it's came yeah, from. I mean, I've kind of lived in Nottingham for nearly ten years now. It's a long time, really, isn't it? Um, so yeah, I, I, I do. Um, I've been down to Merthyr a, a few times. Obviously, I buy a season ticket every year to sort of you know to do that. And I do. Um, I got. I, I, I do sponsor the shorts. Me and my my partner Vicky's oh, company have got. So we try to do what we can. I mean, I think ultimately, when I when I get older, maybe towards retirement, my dream scenario, Derek, would be to sort of get involved in Merthyr at board level and trying to see if I can help my hometown club and bring some of my experience and what I've learned to them. Uh, and that's maybe something that uh, I'd, I'd consider in a few years' time. Would you ever move back to Wales or is that in the, that's in the past? Yeah, I think I I would actually. I mean, I, I do try to spend a little bit of time. It's hard though because obviously everything's based in London, certainly you know, more my work and Nottingham. So it's difficult to get down there, but I definitely, as I get older, it's something I plan to do. I, I really want to spend more time in Wales watching Mercer and that kind of thing. That's, that's a bit of a dream for me. One of the other things I did say the other day to my missus, I was like, I wouldn't mind getting a place in Scotland as well. I wouldn't mind going up there to watch football. That would be brilliant. <laughs> buy, buy a place to go and watch Scottish football. I was like, yeah. So yeah, I mean, I would, I think, you know, in time, you know, as I do get towards retirement, I would love to sort of spend a few weeks going to different Scottish football grounds. That would be a bit of a dream scenario for me, just going to different games right across the country, you know. Johnny, I know you've got the Steam connection there and, and Vicky and Martin will probably be trying to get you to support Celtic, but you, if you're coming to Scotland, you're a well fan. <laughs> but, you know, when I was younger, we had a thing going with um, with Queen's Park. This is Merthyr Town. Of course. So we used to come up and swap games at Queen's Park. And, um, They're the and we, I've been as well. Yeah, yeah, I've been to see them. Mark, Mark probably explained to you, Mark Evans. Yeah. He started arranging it. So we, I've been to see them many times. But um, I have got some, um, I've got a Motherwell connection. I've got a mate who's a, who's a Motherwell fan. Um, and I've been asked a few times about going to see them. The, the, I mean, do you know the new magazine out there, Pananero? Yeah, yeah, yeah. There's a few I, boys involved with that. Actually, the, the guy I mentioned earlier, who is a big Paul Weller fan, he's he's involved in some of the writing for that as well. So, uh, yeah. He's doing yeah, a bit so of Motherwell on the, the issue that's coming out this month. So that's right. So so them boys have got Motherwell connections, and they sort of said, you know, you know, try and get down to a game. So I'd like to go to as many games as, as I possibly can, really, and try to see as many teams. I got a mate of mine, funny enough, who's just taken over as CEO at Dunfermline, David Cook. Oh, amazing! He was in charge. Yeah, he was in charge of the commercial division at um, at Forest. Great guy, brilliant guy, and he's just taken over, and I'm so pleased for him because. He wouldn't have left Forest, but his hometown club came up, you know, as CEO. Yeah. How can I know? <laughs> Mate, you've got to do that. Do you know what I mean? So he's just gone. So I've got to go and see him as well. I got I got brilliant mates who support Dundee United. Um, Dave McLean, who's the manager of Placebo, he's a massive Dundee United fan. He's he's keen to tip. So I'm thinking like I might go up and I might go and see the world. I might go and see Celtic, <laughs> Queen's Park, and, and maybe do a journey up, up the uh, up the east coast there. Absolutely, absolutely. What's the future looking like? The immediate future for you? What have you? What have you got in the, the next coming months? There, you. Well, we got um, me and Vicky started up a company called Build Your Own Films, and that's got a bit of momentum. We had our first commission with ITV, which is out late this year. Without Sin, which starts 
stars Vicky, sorry. And I've got some um, offers on the table for some more football docs, which have you know they've done incredibly well for me, Touchwood. So I'm really pleased about that. So there's more offers. So I'll be deciding in the next month, I think, Derek, on what I'm going to do next. Uh, and then I'll I'll take it from there. Really, I did. Funny enough, somebody did say the other day, "Well, you should do the uh, the new firm story, Aberdeen Dundee United." And I was like, "That is a good story. That is a very good story." Yeah. What happened in the mid? What happened in the mid eighties? That these two teams sort of came from nowhere, and you know, really, really took Europe on to an yeah. extent. Do you know what I mean? And uh, that was a good story. There's so many great football stories that are out there. So, and, and it seems to be at this moment, Derek, there's an audience for people who are really enjoying them. So, I hope to make a few more in the next few years. Absolutely, exciting times. Looking forward to it, and I have to say the, the new firm one would be fantastic. It's it's almost a story that's not told enough, and you know it's it's no. got Alex Ferguson connection there as well, so it would probably appeal to a wider audience down south as well. Yeah, yeah, it's good. It's a good, it's a good idea. Maybe we should do that, mate. Me and you. Where, <laughs> <laughs> Where do I sign? <laughs> no, Johnny. Honestly, it's it's been a, it's been an absolute pleasure. I really appreciate you you giving me your time as well, and and thanks very much. I really enjoyed it. Really enjoyed it, Derek. And, and like I said, I'll, I'll definitely, when I'm up next, we'll have to grab that beer and maybe uh, take in a, a well match. Absolutely. Thanks very much, Johnny. Top man.